Martin. It's good to see you all this morning. Uh, we have a lot going on here. We already had some announcements, but just a little, a few couple details. One, kids, we're so excited to have you here. Um, I, I'm a little used to speaking only to people like high school and up right now, so I can be a little boring and a little hard to follow, but something we have going on that we didn't tell you yet is you have the opportunity to get a prize from Grant today because on the back table, there are handouts with fill in the blanks. So if you get that handout, a clipboard, and a pen, and you fill in the blanks, after the service, go find Pastor Grant, and he will give you a great prize, assuming it looks like you actually tried to fill in the blanks. You don't have to get a straight A, but you have to at least get like a C. C's get degrees. But, so please go grab one of those. That will help you track along with a little bit of what I'm saying up here. And also you'll notice that our stage looks wildly different right now. Um, we'll find out more about that next week. We're going to get somebody actually sharing with us about exactly what's going on. But one of the ministries we get to partner with as a church is Jester's Theater that runs, basically they run a theater program that's also a youth group. And it's amazing because they actually reach and serve everyone from kids that grow up and live their whole life in the church to kids that would never go near a church, but they love theater. And they get to learn about God together and grow together. And so they are going to be doing their production this month. You can buy tickets if you see any of the handouts in the lobby or next to the exits to the auditorium. There's information for buying tickets to support their show, see what they're doing. But for the next couple of weeks, we get to share the stage with a production of a Seussified Pride and Prejudice. I don't know if it's a good idea or a bad idea, but if you buy a ticket, you can find out. Okay, so that's going on. I feel like there was one other thing I wanted to say. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we kind of touched on it, but kids being in the service, we want to strategically invite kids to be part of the main service occasionally. However, we don't want it to be a necessity like it is right now. Um, right now, to do our kids' program well, to have it work well, we have to have a certain number of people serving as leaders and as small group leaders and we're a little bit below that number to do it every week. And so we're doing it some weeks and not other weeks. So I'd love, one, one if you're interested in serving with kids, please reach out to us. Uh, if you go to our website, click Get Involved, Serve, you can reach out to us that way, or you can grab Grant or I in person if you'd like to serve in kids. But also if you're like, I know I'm not called to serve in kids, you can serve somewhere else, they'll free somebody else to serve in kids, or just pray. Because the big thing that we believe as a church is that God will provide the giftings and the abilities that we need to do what he's called us to do as a church. And so if we don't have enough volunteers to do something, it either means we're running the wrong strategy and we need to discern a different strategy from God. We need to get some people involved that aren't involved or God's going to provide in a way that we don't know about yet. But it doesn't mean that we're going to ask people to give more than God's given them to give and burn them out because that's abusing what God's given us. So we're not going to do that. So anyways, please pray. If you'd like to serve anywhere in the church, go get involved, click serve. That all being said, we're going to jump into our message this morning. Also, our lights are really weird because of the stage production thing. So thankfully now you can see me, hopefully. And you can also see the person next to you, which hopefully they like. But we're getting into our message We've been doing a series, Why We Are the Way We Are, where we're looking at the core beliefs we hold as a church community that are summarized in the 24 statements of a profession of faith from a Mennonite perspective. We're on week six, 
So we're doing six a year for four years straight to get through the whole thing, and then we'll start over again because uh, we only have a four-year memory. But week four, six, we're looking at what's called the creation and calling of humanity. Interesting, vague term. I didn't know what it meant when I read the title, but we'll find out. But to start off this morning, I want you to think about something. I have a question for you. Do you ever watch a movie or a TV show, or maybe you're one of those people that still reads books, I don't know, and you imagine being the main character, what it would feel like to be the main character of that book? Like, I made the mistake of thinking about that for The Hunger Games. I was like, I do not want to be Katniss. That sounds horrible. But do you ever do that, right? So I want you to turn to somebody next to you for a second, ask them, what is a main character that you've imagined yourself being? So take a second to ask somebody next to you. What is the main character you have imagined yourself being? Right. Anybody, anybody find out an interesting answer from anyone? Tarzan. Tarzan. <laughs> In the jungle, a few less clothes you should probably be wearing. Great. Okay, cool. Any other, any other answers? Who driving the bus? Sandra Bullock. And speed. Okay, okay. That's a classic, an edgy classic. Okay, we watched some interesting things. Cool. Anyways, moving on. Um, I've been reading a book lately. I'm still one of those people that reads books sometimes. I've been reading a book lately. And it's a really cliche, generic plot line kind of to start off with because this person wakes up from a coma. They wake up from a coma. They don't know... They're like, what am I and where, who I am I? What am I and where am I? And so the first, as the book goes along, they slowly go, oh, what am I? I guess I'm a scientist. Actually, specifically, I'm a science teacher. And then they also find out that they've been like trained to be an astronaut. They're like, what am I? I'm an astronaut that was a science teacher. What's going on? So then they're like, why am I here? Like, why am I? And they realize that they're like in the spaceship, hurt in another galaxy. They don't have enough fuel to get home and they're on a mission to save humanity. And they're like, this is amazing. Also kind of sad, but anyways. So that's, I just spoiled the plot line of a great book. But that's a cliche storyline. The waking up going, what am I and why am I? And I think it's a cliche storyline in so many books and so many movies because it actually resonates with all of us. Because when all of us are born, because all of us were born at some point, when all of us are born, the first thing you're worried about is where's the food? Who's going to change my diaper? Questions like that, right? But as we develop into having an adult brain, as we hit adolescence, we start to ask these questions that developmental psychologists call identity questions, which is what am I and why am I? And we start to try to find answers for those questions. And so we start to look at things like when we're trying to answer what am I, we go, okay, like what do I care about? What activities do I do? If I do ballet, I'm a ballerina. If I play football, I'm a football player, and that's who I am. When I was a teenager, 
I raced bikes. And so I was like, I'm a bike racer. And that was part of my identity is like, what am I? Other things that we look at is what abilities we have. Am I smart or am I dumb, in my opinion? And you start to label yourself and create this identity for yourself of what I am. And sometimes we even look at the value that others place on us, how others view us, and we start to label ourselves by that. You go, I'm a popular person, or maybe I'm an unpopular person. We start to label what I am. And then what's worse is your whole childhood is defined by one question from adults. Anybody remember that question that every adult asked you when they didn't know what to ask you? What do you want to be when you grow up? And when you hit high school, I'm, I'm the worst for this. I do this. Don't worry. I'm like, hey, what do you want to do when you graduate? But it makes you ask the question, why am I? Why am I here on earth? What am I going to do with my life? What's the why of my life? And we all start to look for answers for that. And sometimes we go, the why of my life is I am here on earth to make as much money and get as much stuff as I can so that people think I'm an amazing person. And so as you're graduating high school, you're going, what career will make me the most money? I don't need to be happy. I just need money. Other ones of us are like, I think I'm here just to be happy. And so we pursue that in different things. For others of us, we think I just need to survive. And we define our life, the, the why that we live our life by is how do I survive my time on earth. And I remember for myself as a teenager, one of the struggles I had was I actually had a hard defi time defining what I am and why I am. And I wasn't really sure some of the time. It actually freaked me out. It was really scary and disorienting and kind of discouraging. It kind of sucked the life out of life, not really being sure why I am. And for many of us, we don't run into that question as an adolescent and as a teenager in high school. Maybe we have good answers that work for us. But as we live our life, we typically find that the answers we have quit working at some point. If your what I am question is answered by the job you have, when you lose your job, suddenly you go, what am I if I'm not my job? Sometimes you're success, so successful at your job, you have an entire career, you get to the point of retirement. And one of the biggest issues we have in our lives, in our society, is that when we retire, often we go, what am I? And we feel lost and depressed because without your work, even if though you were good at it, you succeeded at it, without your work, you're like, what am I? And then the why question gets even worse because if we actually believe the best answers that science have for us about why we exist. If we just go, hey, what do the facts say about why I exist that I can find in science? It's that you are an organism that is kind of randomly evolved to survive. Your entire why is to survive. If you've ever lived your life in that space of just trying to survive, you know that that's a desperate discouraging place that you don't want to be stuck in. And so to survive life in our society, while we know the fact of I just, this organism designed to survive, well, you, can, you have to create meaning. 
So you watch Disney movies that tell you how to create your own meaning, and you try to do that. But I believe that if you believe what we talked about last week, about God actually forming and creating the universe into what it is, and particularly humanity, if you believe that, then the God of the Bible actually gives us an amazing explanation of why, what we are, and why we are. And those answers actually hold up. Those answers mean that when, whether you get the job or you lose the job, whether you have all the abilities you've had your whole life or you have health problems take away the abilities that were part of your identity, whether people have an amazing view of you or a terrible view of you, your what and your why aren't dependent on that. You actually have the truth to hold on to. So our confession of faith, we summarize it like this. We believe that God has created human beings in the divine image, in the image of God. God formed them from the dust of the earth and gave them a special dignity among all the works of creation. Human beings have been made for a relationship with God, to live in peace with each other, and to take care of the rest of creation. Now, that's a nice summary of our belief, but where does it come from? Why do we believe this? Why do we believe that if the God of the Bible is real, that this is the truth? Well, let's jump into the Bible. Genesis chapter 2, God actually describes what was going on when he formed, he created humans. So let's read that together. Then the Lord formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. So bottom line, what you are is dirt and breath. What you are is dirt from the ground, the most organic, earthly of just physical existence. But then, if you're a normal human, you feel like you're somewhat different than every other thing of the earth. You go, I don't feel like I'm exactly the same as an animal. There's something different about me. There's something that, like, is smart, the smartest animal. You hang out with the smartest, most intelligent animal with the most soul. The perfect cat or the perfect dog. I don't know why we talk about cats and dogs a lot, but the perfect pet. And you go, there's still nothing quite like a human. What's going on with that? Because they're of the dirt of the ground, but they're not, they don't have the breath of God in them. God actually says that he formed us from the dirt of the ground and his own breath of life. And that's a reason why we feel that there's something more than physical life, that there's a spiritual life, that there's something beyond us that's also within us. So what you are is dirt and breath. As weird as it is, you're dirt and breath. But why are you? Why are you? Let's jump back. Because most of the narrative in the Bible of the creation, the formation of the universe, everything's explained once. But for whatever reason, God decided to explain humans twice. So in Genesis chapter 1, a little bit earlier, he says this about creating humans. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us, to be like God. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. So it says a little bit more about the what. Where dirt and breath formed into the image of God. But why? And the why takes us to a really uncomfortable word. 
in our society, in our time. Because the why takes us to the word. Let's flip back to that. They will reign over the fish in the sea. They will reign over the, what, everything else that God created. And I don't know about you, when I hear the word reign or rule, I get a little uncomfortable. Because it makes me think of kings and queens and dynasties and royalty. And if you've read very many history books about kings and queens and people that ruled over other people and over other things, there's a lot of horrific things that happened. People that reign in human history tend to get famous for how they abused that power, how they exploited others, they exploited resources, they were selfish and self-centered. And you go, I don't think it's actually maybe the best idea to let me be a king or queen, you know? Maybe you shouldn't let me rule. John Mark Comer wrote a book gar called Garden City where he wrestles through this entire topic. It's a really good book, really easy to read. There's a copy in the lobby. Please borrow it, but bring it back because I love it. But he says this, the word rule is called errata in Hebrew. It can be translated reign or have dominion. It's not a mistranslation. It is king language. God didn't accidentally call you as a human king or queen. He didn't mean, oh, you're just a servant. He actually described you as reigning, not serving, not being a slave, but actually reigning over creation. So one Hebrew scholar translated it as to actively partner with God in taking the world somewhere. To actively partner with God in taking the world somewhere. Your dirt and breath formed in the image of God to reign over the rest of creation. And when we look at human examples, we go, whoa, hold on a sec. Maybe, maybe we shouldn't be kings and queens. Maybe we shouldn't be over everything. Maybe we shouldn't be rulers. But who's calling you that? And what image are you created, meant, created in? You're created in the image of God. And all throughout the Bible, God is described as a king over the universe. But what does he do with his kingdom power? What does he do with what he has power over? Is he self-centered and exploitive of the creation he made? No. He actually serves with his power. He actually dies for those that he's serving. He's not the king that stays in the castle and sends his servants out to battle. He goes and leads the charge, fighting for them. And so if we're creating the image of God to reign, then we are expected to be kings and queens over creation like God is. It's a pretty interesting idea, right? So what does that look like? If you actually believe this, what do you do with that? Because the why we are, the way we are series is about we believe this and this is why we are, this is how it forms us if we actually believe it. Because there's lots of times you say, oh, I believe this, and then you live your life completely differently. But if we believe it, from our confession of faith that it continues on, we believe that God intends human work to be a way of caring for and ordering. And, and ordering is kind of creating. A way of caring for and creating rather than exploiting the world which has been created. We're not, our work's not to be like the work of human kings and queens in history, but to be like the work 
of God in the image of God. Work is necessary to sustain and enhance human life. It can also be a way to serve and witness to others in the spirit of Jesus Christ. According to God's design, we are to balance work and rest for our own good and for the good of the rest of creation. Hence why we don't have kids this morning. Because you need some rest sometimes. Above all, regular rest from work is intended to remind us of God's presence and God's creating, liberating, healing, and saving activity. And here's the part that speaks into what we're looking at this morning specifically. Because we are called to serve God in all of life, we also seek to follow Jesus Christ in the work we choose and in the way we carry out our work. And this matters. Because your why, what you truly believe about why you exist, directly affects the work you choose to do and the way you do that work. If the work you, if your why you exist is to survive, then you choose work to help you survive. And the way you do your work is survival mode. It's not creating. It's not caring for others. It's about just surviving for yourself. If the why for your existence is to just experience pleasure and happiness, then you choose work that makes you happy and gives you access to things that make you happy. And you do it in a way that makes you happy. If something's, too hard, if something's hard and unpleasant, you just don't do it because you just want to be happy. What you believe about your why directly affects the work you do and the way you do it. So if you actually believe it, God, when he says that you are dirt and breath formed into the image of God. Why? To rule over creation, not like a human king, but like God is king, to bring God's kingdom through care for others and creating for others, creating for the well-being of other humans and all of creation. And that starts to change how you look at the work you do with your life. Because most of us think about our lives in a lot of different ways. But if you ignore how much time we spend sleeping or trying to sleep, most of our energy, most of our time in our life is actually focused on work. Whether it's work at a job, whether it's work at school, whether it's work caring for our family, whether it's work doing chores, our lives are defined by work and rest. And we spend most of that time working. And God actually has a direct intention for that. So if you want to actually live out this belief of who you are, then when you're looking at what work you're going to do when you grow up, when you're in school and they're asking you, hey, what are you going to do with, when you grow up? You start to go, how did God uniquely create me in his image? What unique aspects of God's caring and creative ability did God give me? And then how can I develop those and get ready to use those to care for and create for the rest of humanity and creation? And then someday you end up with a job. And normally your first job isn't the job that you want. It's just the job that you need. But you look at your job, and sometimes you're in your job, and you go, you know what? I love my job. It has great benefits. It's good. But over time, you start to realize that the, the work you're doing is actually not caring for and creating for others. It's actually exploiting others. If you truly believe what God says about why he made you, then you have to go, do I want to keep living against this or do I need to change jobs? Sometimes you will have moments where your career directly conflicts 
with actually living out your responsibility to be in the image of God, caring and creating for. You have to go, hey, am I going to keep doing this job because I like it? Or am I going to do what God created me for? And you feel that tension inside of you going, hey, I like the benefits of this, but I know that I'm not doing, I'm living outside of my why. And other times you have a job and it's great. And it's a good job, and it encourages you to care for and create for others. I think pastors are a great example of that. Like, I love my job as a pastor. My job as a pastor is generally to care for people and create things like a great church service for people, create great programs for people, and great opportunities. And it's such a good job, but then you actually do the job. And... I sometimes avoid telling people that I'm a pastor because of the reputation that pastors have right now. Because some people think pastors are great people, and that's great. But a lot of people have seen pastors in position in a job which is about caring for and creating for, and they've seen the way they do their work becomes selfish and self-centered. That when they have to make hard choices, they prioritize themselves. When they have to deal with conflict, they go, how can I make this work out for me? I, won't, I don't want to be sacrificial. I don't want to make hard decisions. I want to make the easy decision. And so every work that you have in your life, whether it's a job and a career, whether it's just studying in school, whether you're retired and you're doing the work that you choose in retirement, you have to think about how am I doing this work? Is the way I'm doing this work truly about caring for others and creating for others in the, in the footsteps of God? Or am I stepping into my own path away from that? There's an illustration I like to think of because we often fall into different images of how God works. And like, I think the easiest way to think of, that we think of God is like, if you think of a dishwasher, you're like, what, where's Michael going with this? Why are we thinking about dishwashers? But you think of a dishwasher it's satisfying putting dirty dishes in the dishwasher, knowing they're going to come out clean. But eventually the dishwasher gets full. You run the dishwasher, and the clean dishes are in the dishwasher now, dry, ready to be put away. And this is when I don't like dishwashers, because suddenly they become work. And you go, there's work to this, right? Now you imagine at some point in your life you didn't know how to unload a dishwasher. You were a small child. You just didn't even know how. And your parent at that point was like, what is, is like, what am I going to do about my dishwasher full of clean dishes? And sometimes as a parent, you go, man, this is a lot easier to just do myself. It's a lot faster to empty your dishwasher yourself than teach a kid how to empty a dishwasher, right? It's faster. It's easier. And sometimes we think of God like that. We think that God created the universe. He watches us humans run around down here. And he's just like, you know what? Stuff's going wrong. I'll just take care of it. Why would I involve humans in it? It just makes it slower and messier and more difficult. Right? And sometimes that's how we view God. That he just does everything. And it's nice. And we just trust him to take care of us. But others of us, other times we look at God and we feel like he's that parent that sees the clean dishes in the dishwasher and goes, Go empty the dishwasher. And they send you to the kitchen to unload the dishwasher, and they expect you to figure it out, which is not great parenting. 
Like you have to actually teach kids how to unload dishwashers. But they just, they're just, like you think of God as this parent who just said, go empty the dishwasher. And it's going to come back in 15 minutes and look at how good you did and what you did wrong and just going to yell at you for everything you did wrong. And when you find yourself filled with shame and pressure and guilt in your relationship with God, because you think that God created us to be his servants. Right? We get into that mindset. God created us in his image, not to rule, but to be servants, to be slaves. But what God actually describes is he's like the parent that says, hey, the dishwasher needs to be unloaded. Is it faster? Is it easier to do it with you? No. But I want relationship with you. We're going to unload the dishwasher together. Is it going to be slower? Yes. Are you going to probably break a dish or two the first time? Yes. Can I deal with that because I'm God? Yes. That's the God that created and formed us in his image. He says, I get your limitations. I want to be a co-worker with you. I want to be a co-ruler with you over creation. That's what God invites us into. That's the lives that we live on this earth. We're not just slaves sent to deal with creation for God, nor are we just people meant to sit back and just watch God work and be like, hey, he'll sort it out. It's not on me. But he actually invites us into relationship to be co-workers with him and his work of caring for and creating for humanity and all of creation. I love the way that Psalm chapter 8 describes this. When I look at the night sky and see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars you set in place, what are mere mortals that you should think about them? And do you ever look up at the stars and the moon and just be like, I feel really tiny and useless and pointless even, maybe. Like, how do I even have significance here? Right? That's what the author of the psalm is describing. What are mere morals that you should think about them? Human beings that you should care for them. Yet, you, God, made us only a little lower than God and crowned us with glory and honor. You gave us charge of everything you made, putting all things under our authority, the flocks and the herds and all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea, and everything that swims the ocean currents. That is what you are and who you are. You are the dirt of the ground filled with the breath of God's life. To rule over, reign over all of creation. Not like an evil tyrant, but as a caring, creating king. That's the story that the Bible tells is of God bringing his kingdom and him bringing his kingdom to earth through us. That's what he invites us into as followers of Jesus. Following Jesus is being co-workers with God as he brings his kingdom to earth. So I'm just going to close us up in prayer. I think I need, is the band coming up? Yeah, yeah, I'm inviting the band up and closing us in prayer. God, We often struggle with the what and the why of our lives. It's incredibly painful when uh, our answers quit working. But I pray that you would help us all see what you made us and why you made us. That we would have the courage to shape our lives around that. Whether it's the work we do at class, the work that we do with our sports team, the work that we do with our friends, the work that we do at a job, the work we do with our family, that we would 
be co-workers with you in caring for others and all of creation. They would be co-workers with you in creating new, amazing things. Because you're a creating God. You create us in your image to be creating people. And they would start to create your kingdom here on earth. I pray that in the work that we do, the lives that we live in our city, in our neighborhood here in Cedar Valley, they would be caring for and creating for the people and the environment around us, God. That we bring your kingdom here. Not a human kingdom, but the kingdom of God to this city. In your name, amen.